I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. This message comes from NPR sponsor Subaru, celebrating their Share the Love event now through January 3rd. By year's end, Subaru and their retailers will have donated over $250 million to charity. Visit Subaru.com slash share. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Camila Kashani. In this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, hearing from the forgotten people of the first and largest leprosy settlement in the U.S. Around 8,000 people were sent to live in Kalopapa on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. Last week, we heard from Doug Carrillo, whose father was one of them. I was like six years old, and somebody came to pick him up. We were all gathered on the porch watching him live, and we were all crying. The forced separation affected families through generations, including some actually born to patients from Kalopapa, like Linda May Lovey Lovey. My mom had leprosy, and as soon as she delivered me, the nurse picked me up and put me in another room. And there was windows my mom could see, but she never had the opportunity to touch me. And I don't know how many weeks old I was when my adopted parents took me. Here's producer Joe Corona with the rest of the story. Linda May Lovey Lovey had happy memories of her childhood. She grew up in a loving household with six other siblings. But more than 50 years would go by before she would discover the truth of where she came from. What Linda May didn't know was that she had a half-sibling, Doug. Because while Doug's father was in Kalaupapa, he had a child with another patient. Doug and Linda May are both in their 70s now and still have a lot of questions. So they sat down for a StoryCorps conversation to ask some of them. I knew I had a sister, half-sister, but there's no way of finding out how to trace you because they never had records. So locating you was impossible. So we just say, well, I guess she's out in this world, but she's carrying a different name. My question is, what was the story your adoptive parents told you? When I was 12, my mom, she told me that my father was, (laughs) my father owned a grocery store. My mother was a nurse. Mm -hmm. I was their only child. And they had a career, so they don't want to be tied down, so they gave me up for adoption. This is what I was told. Oh, that's a lie, though. I know, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So we all lived, and I never looked for them, you know, my biological family. I says, why should I look for my parents when they gave me away, you know? And then in 2003, she found out that both her parents were from Kalaupapa. And because of that, they had to give their kids away. For my adoptive parents to tell me that story, at first I thought, you know, why did they lie to me for all those years? But now I think my adoptive parents never told anybody because leprosy was such a stigma. That's right. So they think of different things to say to hide that. I guess for them not to have people looking down at them. Linda May was able to meet her mother 
but her father had been dead for over a decade. I missed the opportunity of meeting my father. And it just took a toll on me, you know. I had so many questions. And I'm still angry today because I don't have any answers. I closed my eye and just imagined touching him, you know, because that's what I missed. Mm -hmm. That hurts. Yeah, it really hurts. Finding you took 55 years. Mm -hmm. What did you remember about the day I called your home? I think the first word I spoke to was, who is? The part that really excited me is when I first seen your face. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And I said, she looked just like that. (laughs) You know, to see you with my eyes really made my heart say, this girl is my sister. You just ran to me and gave me the most biggest hug I ever had. We've been looking for you for such a long time. So when we finally met, there was relief in my heart. Did you ever wonder about me? What I was like? How I looked like? Of course I wondered about you. Because I knew you were there, but I didn't know where you were. And that's the hardest thing to accept. When I found out what happened to my real life, I was not going to let it go because I didn't have the opportunity of having my brothers and sisters be there to protect me and watch me grow up. Mm-hmm. It was scary for me because, you know, I was worried what they think of me, you know, because I'm not a little baby, you know? How has our relationship evolved since we met? I've known you for almost 20 years, brother, and we've gotten so close Family is very, very important, you know. It's nice to know that there's people here on this earth that I'm part of because I have their blood running in me. I am so fortunate that I can carry you with me forever until we leave this earth. You know how much I love you. Even though Linda May lives halfway across the country from Doug, they still manage to see each other a few times a year. And while thousands of families like theirs were torn apart, after the break, we'll hear a story of how the settlement also brought people together. Stay with us. When I first started reaching out to people in Kalaupapa, the first patient to respond was Meli Watanuki. I'm the last patient come here in Kalaupapa. Now 88 years old, Meli arrived in Kalaupapa in 1969. Leprosy alienated her from everyone she knew in Hawaii, so she went to the one place where she found community. She married another patient, Pili, and they were together until his death in 1981. 
Melly still remembers the conversation she had with him the night before he died. My husband told me, honey, remember, you gotta find someone. They love you and take care of you like how I do. And I told him, why you talk to me like that? It's not right. In the morning, I woke up at 6 o'clock, and uh, the nurse told me, your husband is dying. At around the same time as Pili's death, the state hired Randy Watanuki to do carpentry work and other odd jobs in Kalopapa. They came to StoryCorps to remember the first time he noticed her. I used to see you on Wednesday, and I used to think to myself, who that lady? How come you cry so much? And I found out that your husband died 10 days before I came to Kalapapa. And I helped dig your husband's grave. Yeah. That was the first thing that they made me do over here. And so that's why I think I was reincarnated from your husband, Pili, because I ended up with you. We fell in love with each other, and we became a couple. I found you as a good man in my life. I remember when I told my mom that I was going to get married to you, and my mom was very against me marrying you. I was kind of sad, you know, because she never liked me, because I'm a patient. Yeah. That's only because of the sick, you know. They get the wrong idea of what's going on. The extent of their knowledge about leprosy was just like in the Bible, yeah? Mm. So my mother was real concerned that I would get sick. Yeah. I understand. But I thought you were special. And finally, they really loved me. Yeah. The happiest moments in my life is when I see you smile, when you're happy. That's what makes me happy, too. <laughs> I always smile. We love each other, right? Yeah. You love me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love you a lot. Okay. That was Meli Watanuki with her husband, Randy Watanuki. Meli and Randy first connected at Pili's gravesite, and graveyards play a huge role on the island because the memory of death is everywhere. Sometimes my puiva, puiva means scared, just like you scared the ghost. And I, that's how I feel. Me before I scared to walk where all the dead people's grave. Uh, right now, I feel just like a guiding angel. They uh, walk with me sometime. And so I know scared not. My last day on the settlement, I piled into the car with sisters Alicia Damien Lau and Barbara Jean Vaida the two nuns who have been my guides for the last week. We went up a trail to the eastern side of the peninsula, Kalawao. 
Is that a rainbow at the base of that? Oh my gosh, it's a rainbow, yep. yeah. A little low light. The nuns then parked in front of a small church and a field covered in purple flowers. And this field, um, there are probably many of the 8,000 patients who are buried there with no markers at all. And probably in part it was because there were so many dying every day and it was just, you know, a logistical problem to keep up with it. There are only about 1,200 marked graves out of the 8,000 people who were sent there. And so the nuns say that, actually, Kalopapa, all of it, is a mass burial site. And with so few patients still alive, everyone I spoke to while I was there had the same question. So what will happen to Kalapapa? The patients are saying, we want it to be a place of remembrance, to help to perpetuate the stories and keep it alive with the spirit of the people that have been here. Even though Sister Alicia and Barbara Jean came here because of their faith and to minister to the patients, in all these years, they've become a part of the community themselves. And they both agree on this one thing. We have both made a commitment to stay here until the last patient either leaves or dies. That's provided we're alive. So let's hang in there together forever. Together forever. Yes, together forever. As I packed my things and got ready to leave the island, I was thinking about what I had hoped to discover before coming here. I thought that once I arrived, I would understand why thousands of people were separated from their families, how they survived decades of isolation, and what effects shame and secrecy had on generations. I thought I would have answers, but I didn't. As the nuns drove me to the airport, all I could think about were the patients and the residents of Kalaupapa, and how grateful I was to have met them and heard their stories. All right, hello everyone, welcome on board. Thanks for joining us over to Honolulu. Uh, just a quick safety briefing before we get on our I witnessed Kalaupapa before it all goes away. It's a place preserved in time, where despite all the hurt and the sick and the death, people fell in love and had families and just lived. episode of the StoryCorps podcast was produced by Joe Corona and edited by Jared Sport, who's our senior producer. Our lead producer is Eleanor Vasili. Max Youngrice is our associate producer. Our technical director is Jarrett Floyd, who also composed our theme song. 
Our fact checker is Erica Anderson. Our story consultant is Jasmine Morris. Special thanks to Ben DeHaven, sisters Alicia Damian Lau and Barbara Jean Vida, the Department of Health and the National Park Service, and the people of Kalaupapa. To see what music we use in the episode, go to storycore.org, where you can also check out original artwork by Lynn Lucien. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Camila Kashani. Catch you next week. Hi, Dave Isay here with a special request to our family of podcast listeners. I founded StoryCorps 19 years ago because I believe that listening to others reminds people that they matter and won't be forgotten, that there's tremendous poetry and grace and wisdom in the stories hiding in plain sight all around us if we just take the time to listen. 650,000 participants later, I believe that now more strongly than ever. StoryCorps is a nonprofit public service organization, and we rely on your support to do our work bringing the country closer together one story at a time. If this podcast has ever made you feel something, if it's made you laugh or made you cry, please consider making a gift to support our work today. Go to donate.storycorps.org slash podcast. Thank you and happy holidays. Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.